Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about what exercises are safe after rotator cuff repair surgery. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Back everybody to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm here with the crew from Champion PT and Performance up in Boston answering your questions. Anything you want to talk about, PT, sports, performance, fitness, career advice type stuff, anything you need, head to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, and we will keep answering as long as you keep asking. Um, well, let's see, who do we have today? Oh, we got a, a little, we got, we've, we've, Mike Scaduto and Dwesh Podell are sharing a computer screen today. That is nice. You guys look like you're sitting very close to each other. I think that's amazing. Um, we have uh, Lenny McCrina, Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, Jonah Monlock, and Kevin Coughlin from his car. So hopefully this goes well. We'll see. You guys can leave a comment if you disagree, and uh, we'll see. But uh, anyway, um, Len, who do we have for students today? We have some very lovely students that have joined us. Um, we are missing one. Um, she has COVID. Uh, for those watching this in the future, COVID was a virus, um, and it, it affected people tremendously. Uh, we have four students, Claire Farley from Tufts University, but MIT, uh, Tara Punksavat, Tara Punksavat from Kansas. We have Kaylee Kovac from St. Francis University and Mackenzie Chavez from the University of Central Florida, aka Tilly Gymnast student. I, I feel like you put like a lot of, a lot of emotion into that one, Len. That was different today. This, this is an emotional group of students, an emotional group of students that I, I've come to enjoy and just cherish. This, this, this is great. Uh, I agree, but I think the students have done a great job, although they yes. haven't asked questions yet on the podcast. And this is, their, this is their final test, right, to see how we go. So who's up first? Who wants to ask the first question? All right, that would be me. So first question, Tiffany from Vermont asks, I know there are a lot of different options when it comes to starting exercises after rotator cuff surgery. How do you know when to start range of motion and what exercises are safe to perform? Ooh, good question. I like that. Thank you, Claire. Uh, and you know, you could argue this is like a, this is a double-sided question because how do you know when to start is like, is this a debate about like, you know, working with physicians and their protocols and stuff like that versus what's safe. But mm, I like this one. This is a good one. And I think I'm going to start this episode off by saying this. I don't think we're ever going to necessarily know the answer, but I think as rehab professionals in the last five years or so, I think we've done a really, really good job trying to put together as much of the data and research that's out there to try to help us answer this question very scientifically. 
And, and I don't know if the doctors have caught up to that, to be honest with you. So sorry if you're listening and you're a physician, right? They, they still almost have like blind recommendations. But um, who would like to start this one here? Because th- I think there's a few things and we'll keep we'll keep the episode specific. They're talking about when do we start exercises after the cuff repair? How do we know when to start range of motion in early exercises? Like what's safe? Who wants to start? Dan? I guess I'll start. Um, <clears throat> I did a literature review on this about a... I'd say sometime in the past year, because this is a, a real concern. And I think the big thing that, you know, the, what was the, uh, the question asker's name? Tiffany. Tiffany. Um, and I think um, if the listeners aren't aware, there's a fairly high retail rate and rotator cuff repairs for the big, massive ones, upwards of 90% plus. Uh, for the smaller ones, obviously, that's much lower. And what we do from a physical therapy standpoint does seem to influence the rate of tears, right? So I think it's important that we are thinking about this a little bit. Um, and there's a couple thoughts that go into my mind. So when a re- when you have a re-tear, it could be because of mechanical fixation. So essentially, when the surgeon is trying to repair this and put this down on the bone, if we put too much stress in there, it may tear off, right? The other piece to think about in my mind is that exercise is something that promotes healing as well. And you will see protocols that lock people down for six weeks and they do nothing. And then they start physical therapy, range of motion, everything else. And that may be a problem too, from an optimal healing perspective. So you probably want to put a little bit of stress through that area. Right. Um, and I guess I just wanted to also say that I think you had it right, Mike, that we don't really fully know exactly what the best time is to introduce like range of motion, strength, all of that stuff. Uh, what I will say without kind of trudging on too long is if you have a small to medium tear, full thickness, you could probably push this a little bit faster in terms of range of motion, meaning that you could probably start range of motion passively almost immediately. Um, probably the research is kind of showing a sling for the small to medium tears does not influence retear rates. Uh, but as soon as you get to the large and the massive tears, you have to delay things quite a bit more. Um, and a lot of the accelerated protocols you'll see out there are early range of motion for the large plus tears that does increase retear rates slightly, although that evidence is mixed, right? Um, so there's some broad strokes there without saying too much, I guess. I, I think that was great, Dan. And, and I think you brought up two great points that I really liked. One is, you know, the research about retears, but like before we even like talk about those, actually, like it, it's, it's almost like saying like, like rotator cuff tear that's almost saying like you know when do you start running you know after a hamstring strain well was it a grade one a grade two a grade three right i mean the the answer is it depends right and just saying rotator cuff tear is not fair i think to the patient right you can't say every rotator cuff patient needs to do that right a 35 year old with a very small tear and quality healthy tissue is a lot different than a 75 year old with a massive tear and really poor tissue quality and why would those two people rehab the same right we don't do that for anything else so i like how you said that dan i also like how you talked about some of like the statistics if you look at the the stats that come out here is yes there are a lot of rotator cuff failures but most of them happen early anyway and they probably happen regardless of the physical therapy and if you look at some of the studies they tore even in the groups that didn't do the physical therapy so, you know, it comes back down to, you know, does rehab impact that? It's probably more 
with the large massive tears, like Dan said, than the smaller tears that we have to be a little bit cautious based on that. But I, I just, I really liked how you, you said that, Dan. So um, yeah, I, I just want to comment on that. Dave, what do you got? Yeah, I think this is pretty vivid to me because like early in my PT career, this is actually one of the things I found like you and Lenny for, because I remember distinctly not really understanding like when to start exercises after a cuff repair and, you know, like flared somebody up because I think I went a little too early. And I think the problem that I missed uh, when I was younger is it was really like you said, Mike, lumping them all into the same bucket, not only on like severity, but also like the type of cuff tear and like what they had done. Right. So somebody with a supraspinatus repair is completely different than someone who has a subscap repair who has, uh, you know, infraspinatus tendinopathy as well. And I think you have to really understand that, okay, exercise can mean passive range of motion or active assistive range of motion to one doctor, whereas uh, exercise is like weighted, uh, you know, cuff sideline ER and full cans to another doctor. So it's really important uh, that you understand, you know, what the doctor's protocol is, what they consider range of motion and like what different pathologies correlate to what type of tissues. So, you know, loaded full cans with somebody who's had a medium sized repair is completely inappropriate six weeks in, but like active assisted range of motion with pulleys is also exercise to some docs. And so that's really important. And so with most things, I think there are general timelines that passive range of motion can start to tolerance in certain directions. If you understand what tissue you're working with, you wouldn't want to do, you know, IR in a, in a, uh, infra repair or something like that, that might stress the tissue, but elevation to tolerance might be totally fine. So I think generally speaking, we could give you timelines for like maybe around four to six weeks, it's this, then active assisted range of motion is a little bit farther than isometrics at eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever, but it's really going to be very specific to the severity, the doctor, the type of tissue quality, like you said, and also like many other protocols that are changing constantly. So I think it's really important to like study those things yourself, but then also talk with the docs and ask like, why and what do you want to do? I think that's great, Dave, and and a really good example of that, right, with the doctors. I guess this does drive me crazy, but I tell this story in person all the time. I tell the same stories over and over, right? You guys, at this point, we've all worked together for so long. It's annoying. Even the students are hearing my students multiple times, uh, stories multiple times. But anyway, I always tell the story about this one because I think it's a great example. I had a student, this was like 20 years ago. She was doing her best. She had a post-op recheck with a rotator cuff repair, and she was, you know, she did a great job. She started some, you know, basic... I metrics and passive range of motion that was very appropriate at the time for that person but it was a doctor that you know she hasn't worked with before that we weren't really you know aware of the person goes back for the recheck with the doctor and the doctor's like you can't do passive range of motion that's crazy why are you doing it? like totally throws her under the bus he's like the only thing you can do is is rope and pulley right and he's like the only thing you can do is rope and pulley and we're like well you know scientifically right that doesn't actually make sense right so you know it was a learning experience for the student because she's like gosh i thought i did the right thing which she did don't tell the doctor right but it's it was also an experience of that this is a lot of nomenclature and a lot of misunderstanding by the doctors but they still control the progression because the outcome is is their responsibility in my mind so something to keep in mind so um who else anybody else have input on that one yeah i mean i got i got opinions um yeah i've I, 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 I verbalized these um numerous times on social media i've, I've fought numerous docs um about this and we get nowhere so good luck like fist but, fight like how fist, aggressive yeah like 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 okay, yeah, just, uh, okay just, yeah. just i spent time in jail no i'm kidding um <laughs> uh dan did a good job summarizing the literature does say retail rates are like eight percent to 94 percent. so keep that in <laughs> mind when you read the literature right. that it's, they're huge and you can mri somebody's rotator cuff repair a year or two out and they are fine, asymptomatic, full function, and it shows 
a retail. So we got to be careful how we're defining failures and everything in the literature because it's not going to necessarily correlate with function. And so for me, who's somebody growing up with Mike in the Birmingham world, it was very confusing because our doctors, Dugas, Kane, Andrews, and those guys 20 years ago were doing passive range of motion right away, post-op day one, and did well. So when we had an outside doc send somebody with a rotator cuff repair and we used that protocol, it was always troubling to that doctor because we were being too aggressive, even though rope and pulleys is about 17.6% MVIC on the supraspinatus. No, I don't want to, you know, not even the numbers. <laughs> so, I love it. <laughs> right. So if you keep your MVIC numbers less than 20%, roughly, which is passive range of motion, which is a little golf club or active assisted range of motion, you're typically safe, especially for a small to medium sized tear with good tissue quality. Somebody with diabetes, uh, workers' comp, um, uh, any other uh, comorbidities, uh, even obesity, I would probably limit what I would do with them. Um, but range of motion right away, in my experiences, if you have a good surgeon and you have a trustworthy PT who's not ramming people's shoulders into, into flexion and external rotation, especially internal rotation for a supraspinatus or an infraspinatus, then it's typically safe because my 10 minutes of passive motion versus the 23 hours and 50 minutes that they're living in their sling, opening doors with your other hand. Now, keep in mind, there are studies that show using the contralateral extremity put stress on the surgical side, probably the same, if not more than if they were doing passive motion or open pulleys. So we're not going to tell people to not open a door or lift a glass of water with their other side, because it's still going to stress the surgical side. So we get, if you look really at the literature, it's, it's, it's all over the place as usual. But I think in the hands of a good therapist, who's, who's respecting the tissue and respecting range of motion and respecting the doctor's principles of the, the surgery and how good the surgery was is a double row or single row. Most doctors do a double row repairs now. The tissue is going to hold up just just fine. So I would I'm a promote I promote early range of motion uh, after a rotator cuff repair because I know over the last two decades people can do just absolutely fine with it. So that's my little soapbox. I love it, Len. I, and and you know I think from experience too that we we can say the reason why we care and the reason why we've been talking about this is that we think patient satisfaction and their ability to get back to their activities of daily living are better and higher. It's not just about right. does an MRI show that things retorn because a lot of times right. they show it's retorn, but their satisfaction is up. They think it was successful still because they've rehabbed it so well. So right. sometimes we're using the wrong metric. So Tiffany, I'll kind of wrap it up and summarize it like this, right? We're not going to give you weeks today, right? <laughs> because that's not fair to the person in front of you. Everybody's a little bit different. Right. You can't start this week zero or four or six or whatever it is. That's not really the purpose of this, but I like how Lenny kind of alluded to it. Um, Dan Pope's had some great content on his website and social media lately, uh, lately on this stuff too. But like, think of an ordinal scale of exercises and how much stress and EMG activity that they put on you, right? And that's how we think of it. And remember, like Lenny said, brushing your teeth, drinking a glass of water, opening a door with your other arm while you're in a sling, that's more EMG activity than doing passive range of motion with your shoulder with this therapist so kind of keep that in mind and i would say put those stuff together i think that's how you do it and that's how you judge what's safe is you kind of put that ordinal scale together so check out some of those resources for that and tiffany really good really good question that i think a lot of us face so i, I like questions like that so thanks so much if you have a question like that head to mike click on that podcast link and be sure to head to apple and spotify and rate review and subscribe and all those other cool things you do with podcasts thank you so much we'll see you on the next episode
Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynolds.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.